Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, this next segment is for anyone who works for a living as an employee, independent contractor, small business owner, executive, manager. And at middle age, that describes just about all of us. And we're in the midst of autumn, and we've settled into our normal workday routine. Are you individually and as a team producing value and generating a profit while at the same time you're having fun? If you're a business owner, manager, or executive, are you providing the incentive and workplace environment necessary for your teammates to thrive? Let me contrast two possible workday environments. Here's the most common, the one all too many of us experience throughout our working career. Your workday is filled with chaos. You're continually putting out fires, responding to unanticipated mini-crises. Constant interruptions and new assignments keep coming at you. You haven't uh, completed the projects you're working on, but new projects and tight deadlines just keep being placed on your desk and you're not really clear, much less committed to your collective mission, your department, work group, division, or company as a whole, and the average workday is anything but fun. It swings between being boring and highly stressful, depending on that particular day. And all of us know this is no way to live and pursue our career, but here's good news. You don't have to. Just for a moment, close your eyes and imagine this alternative scenario. You arrive home from work every evening, energetic, smiling, and feeling great. You're in control of your life, your work, and your business. You remain calm and maintain your balance throughout the workday, even in uncertain times. And you enjoy going to work nearly every weekday morning, even Monday. And planning out your workday is actually fun and so easy, it feels like second nature to you. You have a system and a mission that you share with your teammates on the job, and all of you are on on the same page. At all times, your plans are flexible, not paralyzingly strict. And you uh, very rarely do you react. Instead, you create. And obviously... Obviously, every one of us would prefer to work and lead in such an environment. And my guest today, business mentor and executive coach Jonathan Den, is here to talk about how, in fact, he's designed his drumbeat productivity time management system for those of us who hate time management. And he's got tips for us as individuals and, and leaders and to find perhaps as much as two hours a day of extra free time at work or at home, and at the same time to improve our output. And John Den is present, uh, presently is founder, owner, and chief thinking officer of Drumbeat Productivity. He's former CEO of a major U.S. hotel chain and for 12 years has run an adaptive leadership program. He's also a publisher, entrepreneur, business coach, public speaker, and workplace workshop leader. 
and he's author of the acclaimed new book, Drumbeat Business Productivity Playbook, How to Beat Goals and Disorganization. And hello, John. It's indeed a privilege to have you with us here today. Well, Roy, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, your drumbeat productivity system is based upon, as you describe it, a fun music metaphor. Please tell us why you've designed your system based around music, and tell us a bit about jam sessions, improv time, and solo sessions in which you get your own work done. Sure. So most business books are corporate speak and jargon, and (laughs) essentially you can't remember the last sentence because all the sentences sound the same. And... (laughs) We know I wonder how many of our listeners know what their uh, corporate mission statement is, for instance. <laughs> Probably has the word integrity, integrity in it. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to say integrity, by the way, it, there's a real problem. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's a good that should point. just be given. Right? <laughs> um, so we know the brain has five times more receptors for music than it does for uh, words or numbers. Oh, I see. So the uh, music metaphors are kind of the next layer out from that. So most people love music, and therefore the music metaphor is easier to remember and understand. So uh, the the crux of the system is there are uh, basically, there should be two sets in a day, and each set is three hours long. Oh, I see. And each set. Each set contains three sessions, and the first one is a 90-minute solo or duo thinking session. Oh. And this is where you get your work done. (laughs) So if you go home every day and say, geez, I didn't get my work done today, I had so many interruptions, the only way you're going to get your work done is to block out two 90-minute sessions a day, one before lunch and one after lunch. Yeah. Close your door. Don't answer your phone. Don't check email. Um, Do not change topics. Just work on that one uh, subject for 90 minutes or until you hit a uh, logical stopping point. So you can do that alone. Go ahead. I I was just going to say it doesn't have to be precisely 90 minutes then. No, look if you look if you can get an hour twice a day, that's a yeah. great start. If you yeah. get one hour once a day, yeah. that's a great start. But if here's the thing, um, this has probably happened to you. Have you been working on something and all of a sudden it starts looking familiar, and you get that deja vu like I've I've been here before? Yeah. Well, the reason the reason is is that you had been there before. You got interrupted a week and a half ago, yeah. didn't finish the project, and forgot about it. Yeah. Now you had to do the hour, you know, the hour again, and so you just lost two hours of your life. And you say so we, it just, might be with two people instead of just yourself. Yeah, you know, this here's the thing: um, a thinking partner is very uh, productive. Yeah. So a lot of times, if you have one person you really like to work things through with, that's fine in a in a solo thinking session to yeah. actually make it a duo thinking yeah. session. Here's what it can't be. It can't be three people. That's a meeting. <laughs> no trio. Okay, and a meeting has different rules. Yeah, that's yeah. different rules. That's a jam session. Okay. So, uh, and we'll get to that in a second. So, yeah. look at it this way. If you do two of those a day and you do five days a week, 
that's 10 sessions a week to get your own work done. Yeah. My guess is you'll run out of work. That's yeah. how much work you'll get done. Let's see, 10 okay. sessions at three hours, that'd be uh, like 10 30 hours a week minutes. then. That, that's quite a bit of time on yourself <laughs> to do your it's own three, work. Well, it's it's um, an hour and a half twice a day, three hours, five days a week, 15 yeah. hours. Oh, 15 hours, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> right. Okay, now for the jam sessions, uh, you should these most meetings should never be over an hour. Oh, I see. Um, look, there are meetings that can be, but look at it this way. There's four kinds of meetings. Most yeah. people don't know this. There's an information exchange. You know something, uh, Roy, that I need to know, and I know something you need to know. And typically, just send an email. Okay. Yeah, those those uh, sessions don't make a lot of sense at meeting face-to-face. Like you say, don't even sit down if you do have to meet face-to-face. Just pass the information along. <laughs> that's right. And you can do a 15-minute huddle in the morning with your team, but don't yeah. sit down. That yeah. way nobody will get comfortable and start yammering. Yeah. Um, the second kind of meeting is a convergent meeting. This is we have enough information, we have to make a decision. <laughs> so um, a lot of times the options are so close to each other, you can just flip a coin. In fact, I suggest having somebody in your group, in your meeting, be the designated coin flipper. Oh, and whenever they see that we're just wasting time talking about <laughs> how to save $6 and the meeting right now is costing you $700 an hour, you can just get on with the decision by flipping a coin. Okay. <laughs> Those so, are the ass um, or get off the thought meetings. <laughs> really, honest to God, okay? Yeah. And the next one, uh, the one thing I can say about convergent meetings too, though, is, I mean, Who's going to get what done by when? Yeah, that's okay, that so needs to crucial. Be and, and there has right. to be responsibility taken, assigned and taken. But uh, then again, we don't. Well, we won't get into this because we don't really have time. But uh, I don't think it's real effective for the leader just to assign all these things. It's really up to the people to volunteer for them as well as, uh, you know, what they're. And then good start at the something. next meeting with yeah, and start the next meeting with who was supposed to do but what by when. Yeah. And have them report out. Yeah. Okay, so the third kind of meeting is called a divergent meeting. We don't even know what the problem is or even what question to ask. We need a creative solution. We have to come up with something that's not linear. It's creative outside the box. We need to be innovative. That's yeah, not the same are, as a – yeah, go ahead. You say those are usually a larger meeting where you have more people involved or uh, you want more people to uh, contribute well, ideas. Well, Look at it this way. Um, if you're going to come up with a creative idea, you're going to need a lot of ideas. Yeah. Because to find the right one may take a while. And you shouldn't do a divergent meeting in the same place that you do your convergent meetings. <laughs> it should be somewhere more casual. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll have divergent meeting space. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, go for a walk. Go outside. Yeah. Go into yeah. the lunchroom. Uh, yeah. Don't talk about numbers. Talk about ideas. Just don't go um, to the bar. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think some well, pretty good get some uh, problems have been solved in a bar. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> On the back of a cocktail napkin, right? Well, so, I guess that fourth kind of, kind of meeting, meeting would uh, maybe be in a bar. <laughs> yeah, the fourth kind is strictly a social meeting. Uh, just, just be social with each other. And this yeah. is how you build trust and teamwork. Uh, this is where people can just talk freely, be relaxed, 
And that's where a lot of good solutions will come out of just casual conversations. Yeah. Well, can you please tell so us what's the biggest meeting mistake our company or small business makes every day, and how can we fix it? <laughs> uh, the biggest meeting mistake that happens every day is people get convergent meetings mixed up with divergent meetings. <laughs> that's the biggest mistake. Yeah. They sit down in a room, hey, we're all together now, and I just beat, I just beat you up because the numbers aren't good. Yeah. Let's come up with a new and great fun idea so that we can help our clients uh, increase their uh, value to our company. Yeah. And everyone's brain is shut off after being yelled at about it, the numbers, yeah. and they just sit there and waste an hour and a half oh. while everybody feels dejected and afraid to speak. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing is is mixing up the divergent and convergent things. Okay. Well, um, and then what? yeah, to finish up the the three hour set. So that's ninety minutes for solo thinking, an hour for jam sessions. The last one's a ninety minute sprint. I call it finales. Anything that can get done in half an hour. Yeah. Just and you don't uh, have to you don't have to use done. your brain too much, <laughs> right? That's correct. You best pay a bill, uh, write a quick email, uh, check a date, check a time, book a meeting, uh, anything that that can get done in less than half an hour. You don't you necessarily have to turn your whole brain on. You tell us that neuroscience tells us we only get about three hours of quality thinking time a day. So what do we do with it? Most businesses work eight hours a day or so. What do we do with the remaining five hours? You say we can do that twice a day, though. That uh... Yeah, well, basically, this is the thing. If you, you only get three good hours a day. So if you do them in two 90-minute solo sessions yeah. or with a thinking partner, yeah. you're going to get some high-quality work done. Oh, and that's going to just that's just gonna, that's like investing in your career because when you're on the right track when you're thinking clearly when you've set a plan in motion when you've set your goals in motion the rest of it's relatively easy um then you can just use mental models and habits which is basically what you're doing the rest of the day anyway yeah i've seen this problem before i this is what i did the last time it worked the last time i'll do it again yeah, that's well, all you're doing for the rest of the day basically Here's a question for every one of us as individuals. How can you and I set the stage to find our very own irresistible rhythm, as you call it, so that we can beat our wildest goals? <laughs> How do we do that? I know you talk about a rallying cry that we need. <laughs> well, look, I mean, uh, most uh, teams have some kind of a rallying cry. Why shouldn't you have one for your career? That makes sense. Uh, I change mine relatively often. Um, the one I'm working on right now is drum out mediocrity. So every time I see mediocrity in one of my members or clients' businesses, I need to point it out to them. And they can choose to not to do anything about it. Or they can choose to do something about it. But uh, we're mediocrity. You know, that's not going to beat the competition. Not usually. No, that's for sure. Well, to accomplish it. Exceed organization goals, contributors throughout the company, leaders and followers need to be on the same page. As a leader, how best can we ensure that all team members are in agreement on a common company rallying cry without uh, hammering it into them and telling them this is the way it is? How do we get people all on the same page? Well, I think it's the, those last two kinds of meetings. Uh, it's divergent and it's social. Yeah. 
you don't you don't sit down in the room and again yell at everybody about the budget oh. and then say what do you think our rallying cry should be? <laughs> That's just wrong. Okay. Yeah. What you need to do is have you know um, do it at a group retreat, do it at a staff uh, lunch, do yeah. it during a team coffee break, do it at a pizza party, do it after work, uh, do it on a whiteboard in a in a meeting space and have everybody write down their ideas for a week. And then have people vote on those uh, rallying cries. Um, narrow them down to two or three and have the people pitch it to the rest of the group and make a competition out of oh, it. Oh, that's make a it good fun. idea. That, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, the well, more participation you get and, uh, like, everyone feels like they're contributing to the corporate mission or defining the corporate mission, for that matter, the better it is, I would think. But, uh, well, the jam session is working fresh, innovative ideas abound. The problem is, as meeting leader or facilitator, how do you capture them? Can you give us four meeting tips that result in true innovation? Wow, four. Well, however many you want. <laughs> I know in your promotional material you mentioned four. But <laughs> okay, so the first one is called silent ideation. So silent ideation uh, is better than brainstorming. Um, so brainstorming, you'll probably get uh, – I'll do it the other way around. Silent ideation will usually give you about 15 times more ideas than brainstorming. Hmm. So instead of calling something out and having someone write it down on a board, yeah. what you want to do then really is to have everybody work quietly write down as many as they can think of on a, on individual sticky notes hmm. and then put all those sticky notes up on a wall. Oh, so here's the second thing. The second thing is uh, everyone goes around the room and puts a hash mark or a drum beat on the ones that they like. In other words, they're voting for the oh. ones that they like. Okay, good. so another uh, third way is to then take all of those, uh, let's say the top, uh, 10, and then you can put them on a ballot and you can have everybody else in the company vote on those ideas to see which are the top three. And then for the fourth, you can have, uh, again, you can have the three people who are the finalists in that present it to the whole company, uh, like in a video or in person. And in other words, you've basically had uh, a meritocracy of ideas. Boy, that's the best great. idea yeah. won. So there's the that, fourth. That's really fascinating. It's so much, such a great way to, uh, you know, rate the ideas that are floating around and uh, make some sense out of them rather than have them just float away in the, <laughs> after the meeting's over because there's so many of them we don't uh, single out what's best to work on. Well, tell us a bit about your uh, new book, Drumbeat Business Productivity uh playbook what prompted you to write the book well i wanted to write it for a long time and i was uh, looking for a organizing principle and i had used the meta the uh, metaphor of a drumbeat for probably a couple of decades yeah and what does that drumbeat I... what does that represent when you're talking about drumbeat business productivity your system there what is what is that intended to uh, represent? well it, at its base a drumbeat is any good uh, behavior done on a regular basis. I see. For anything worthwhile to do, you set up a drumbeat, for example. 
maybe you want to have one or two of those divergent meetings a week, maybe three, yeah. maybe two a month, oh. maybe three a quarter. Set yeah. the drum beat up, schedule it, get it in the calendar, get it in everyone's calendar, and then make sure that those meetings actually happen. If you're going to do a blog, set up a drum beat. Is it going to be every two weeks, every week, twice a week? Set up the drum beat. If you're going to have uh, the uh, convergent meeting, is it once a week? Is it twice a week? Is it once every other week? Set up that drum beat. Have people block their calendars. Mm -hmm. So once you get a rhythm going amongst everybody on your team, then you can uh, start seeing real results instead of just having every day be chaos like, an orchestra warming up before the performance. <laughs> like most companies. <laughs> well, like is your most book companies. In, yeah. Is your book intended strictly for organization leaders, or can those of us down in the ranks, maybe who uh, want to be leaders, uh, can they also benefit? So the book is set up basically in two parts. One is, is oh. how to structure your day, and that's oh. the new time management system that I was just talking about. Yeah. And the second part of the book is like a mini MBA for people who didn't go to business school. So <laughs> the it's for anybody you. in the organization that wants to up their game. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, if there was one primary message you would like a reader to take away from your book, what would it be? Um, you have to get you have to get a rhythm to your day and your week, your month and your quarter, if you're going to be able to beat your goals and disorganization. Well, that says it all in a nutshell, doesn't it? Well, where's the best place to go to preview and purchase your book, Drumbeat Business Productivity Playbook? It's available on Amazon, Audible, and pretty much any online outlet uh, that sells books. Oh, that's great. Well, your website contains some highly enlightening free blogs and also uh, info on your workshops, coaching, and public speaking. And uh, please give us your web address so that if anyone wants to check out and uh, all that's available there. Sure. It's www.drumbeatproductivity.com. That's drumbeatproductivity.com. And there's a uh, free two-page worksheet to double your downtime, and it's an extreme makeover for your to-do list based on my system. And all you have to do is sign up for the uh, email, and you can get the two-page worksheet for uh, free. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me, anything that's free, but especially something that's that worthwhile. And that's an easy website to remember because you are Drumbeat Productivity, just drumbeatproductivity.com. Well, in conclusion, whether you're a leader, sales rep, or tech professional, you need to make every minute count. And by doing so, you will find yourself eliminating the stressful, energy-draining workday interruptions and uh, disorganization that leaves so many of us exhausted and unfulfilled every evening. And guess what? You'll actually begin having fun while you're earning a living, and you can increase productivity to beat your goals and to beat competition at the same time. And my guest, John Den's revolutionary drumbeat productivity system, that music uh, that rings in your ear, is essential for any business pro who is expected to perform and who wants to consistently meet weekly goals and better yet conquer long-term strategic goals and i recommend you go to his website preview and purchase his book and what's the name of that book again drumbeat productivity 
Thanks so much, John, for your uh, visit today. We've learned a lot about uh, time management, even though, like you say, most people don't want to, but they better learn it. And thanks and best of success in your uh, sale of your book and in everything you do. Well, thanks for having me on, Roy. Well, have you ever had to make a really tough decision? If not yet, you will at certain points in our life. All of us do. And a tough decision may be life-changing, like whether to leave your present job or to accept an offer of a new job. Should you say yes or no to your romantic partner who has just proposed marriage? Should you stay in your present community or relocate to Atlanta? These are all the kinds of uh, uh, tough decisions we have. They may even be life-threatening. Imagine you were just diagnosed with a rare form of cancer which of several medical treatment options should you pursue? In addition to the seismic life-changing decision points, all of of us are faced with uh, numerous nickel and dime decisions throughout the day. Should I go golfing with my friends or stay home and get some work done? Should I volunteer to serve as deacon at my church? Should I splurge and add a slice of pie to my lunch? <laughs> Major or minor doing, uh, making the right decision at times leaves us all feeling scared, frustrated, lonely, perhaps even frozen in fear. Not that pie issue or something like that, but uh, certainly some of the big decisions. And it's easy, isn't it, to just keep postponing making a decision, but that doesn't solve anything. And I can think of several crucial junctures in my life when I became stuck in paralysis of analysis, and the result, I missed out on several promising opportunities because I simply couldn't make up my mind. And believe me, you don't want indecision happening to you. And good news, my next guest, Terry Novak, is an expert on decision-making, or choice-making, as she likes to call it, as a systems analyst. She does it every day at work for her customers, and she's here today to share how her six-step decision-making process uh, helps make any decision, big or small, easier to make. And here's her bio. With over 20 years in software engineering, she made a career of leading others in creating and implementing processes and products that bring about change. She specializes in helping people define their problems and desires, and she has used scientific methods, decision models, and process flows thousands of times in becoming an expert on critical thinking and decision-making, and she's author of the brand-new book, Hypothesis, an HPV Healing Experiment. And hello, Terry Novak, and we're so very pleased to have you with us here today. Hi there. It's great to be with you. Well, you have developed this six-step decision-making process that makes decision-making easier, uh, and it's kind of shaped like the petals of a flower as you design it. Can you briefly run through for us the six steps and uh, what each is is intended to accomplish? Sure. So as an overview, this is um, a brief uh, process that's intended to help you bring about a transformation in yourself. So the very first step at the top of the flower is um, understanding what you really want. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you know, that sounds uh, easy, but a lot of times it's not. 
it's not always easy to articulate what your needs are. So it's important it's to take a little bit of time. to make a surface decision before you really explore that, what you really want. Like, uh, I want this job because it's going to pay me 5000 more a year, even though uh, when you think about it, it's not really the right job for you at all. That would be an example, I guess. Yeah, that's really true. And also, sometimes uh, your, like, knee-jerk idea about you want might not be informed by, and this is the second step, which is what you need to accept about your current situation right now. Yeah. So there might be some circumstances in your life or in your environment that you actually need to take a, a moment and understand and kind of consider how that affects what you want. Yeah, and so, how I got to where I was and uh, how I can change myself so that uh, it doesn't continue the way I don't want <laughs> That's right. And there might be some historic ways that things were that really don't apply right now. So it's a chance to kind of let go of things that aren't really part of your situation anymore and focus on the things that are. Yeah, that's very, very good point. And what's the third step then? Sure. So the third step is, so now that you know what you want and you know kind of what you've accepted about your situation, you need to Choose what you're going to trust. So there's a lot of choices probably becoming presented in front of you in your decision. And so now you need to decide who to trust, what to trust, so that you can move forward. And so um, what I recommend is trust yourself first. (laughs) No, you can't trust yourself. Who else can you trust? (laughs) That's right. So you're not true um, to yourself, you're certainly not going to be true to others. <laughs> that's so true. So when you look inside yourself, like give yourself the permission to step back and look inside and under and trust that like inner voice yeah. that you have that kind of guides you, and it has you've counted on it for years, right? So yeah. there's no reason not to count on it now. That's good old intuition. You don't want to listen to that inner voice that keeps telling you why you're not good enough. <laughs> We've often fought against that, the uh, the seeds of doubt and fear. That <laughs> but, is so but, true. Uh, intuition is such a crucial element to uh, trusting what you, uh, you know, knowing deep inside what's right, the right way to go, and uh, having that feeling about it. Sure, and the, another part of the trust is you're, and because you're making a decision, there's probably some things you don't know or you don't have all the answers to yourself. Yeah. No, so you you'll, really. you'll be looking for advice from others. Yeah. You'll probably want a decision buddy to bounce off some ideas, and then you'll be exploring other other areas and people who are experts in the topic that you're making a decision on. Yeah, so you'll need so to be picking sense. your trust. Yeah. Talk to somebody who's been there and done that or knows a little more than you do rather than your buddy who is as much in the dark as you are over some matter. But uh, Absolutely. You'll want to find experts on the topic and also, like friends, people who know your heart. Yeah, yeah that's that's the combination you need, the expertise and the, the people who really know you. And then what's the fourth step? So then the next step is so you have a, you have a good idea of what you want. You have a, some um, people who are going to help you take the next steps forward. And now um, I suggest you take a chance to be grateful 
So you're like, wow, what? Wait, that's a step in a process? Absolutely, I think it is. Because you might be scared about the next steps. And you might be uh, worried about how things are going to turn out. So a lot of times it's great to put, this is what I, it's a vision step, but it's also a gratitude step where you put the the end transformation that you're um, going for and begin feeling grateful that you have it as soon as you can, even before you have the results. Yeah, the the final results don't have to be in before you start feeling thankful and grateful for what you've done. Absolutely. And um, what I've found is, yeah, you don't even, it's not even just, doesn't have to be like a feeling or a vision. It can be very tangible. You can start, you know, providing tokens and words or thank you notes right away so that it like seals the deal inside your mind and inside your body that um, these things are going to come to pass. And then the fifth one is something that so many of us fail to do after pondering. The decision. What's the step number five? I step number five is act. This is actually you got to do something. Yeah, that's the old paralysis of analysis again. So <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of challenges for acting. One is if it's a hard decision, you might be avoiding it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so you might feel like. Uh, this is, I kind of just wish it away. And then that's a challenge towards acting. Another one is like you feel um, like you haven't gotten enough information along the way. So so you keep looking and looking and looking for answers. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You keep looking for answers. You keep looking for options. And you you don't actually go into action. So the next step is... It's like the guy that goes to college for 10 years because he can't decide or she can't decide what her major should be. (laughs) Yeah. You got to go give it a try. You have to act. Mm -hmm. That's the next step. So then the final step makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah. The final step is owning the results. So... um, when making a big decision, I think it's important, maybe even before you act, like all of these steps, like they don't have to go in sequence. It, it's easy to talk about in order, but I find that they kind of go back and forth amongst each other. Yeah. And um, knowing and taking the accountability to own the results is so important. Yeah, it's so easy to blame somebody else or circumstances at the time and uh... Well, if I'd only known now what I, or then what I know now, I wouldn't have done the dumb thing and, you know, all these kind of excuses that really doesn't solve anything. <laughs> yeah, it it kind of plays into the trust thing, right? You're trusting someone. You're not trusting them so you can blame them. <laughs> you're trusting them so you can make your goal. And um, you want to own the end results so that you can you have this super commitment to continue through the actions that it takes to get to the end point. And then I would add on to that ownership that you also want to think about how you can pay it forward, right? Oh, how yeah. you can take I mean like you're gonna you're gonna get this wonderful transformation that you've been wanting and you really need and it's and then when it happens how can you help others, you know, yeah. feel that joy as well? That That's so true. How can it, it really, anything you accomplish feels so much better if you help somebody else accomplish somewhat similar results and uh, not taking away from you because there's plenty to go around really in, in most any situation. But you uh, play it forward 
and you'd feel so much better once you do because you can't really celebrate all by yourself. <laughs> it goes. That's right. I'm re- I'm so glad you mentioned celebration because right in the middle of this process, and I would say, and in the middle or like at the the base of it, I put joy. So I think joy-based decisions will get you so much farther. (laughs) And and looking forward to a celebration could be part of your thank you. Yeah, you tell us we don't have to wait for a slap in the face to make a tough decision. (laughs) Oh, a lot of us do, I think. You know, we wait until somebody else gets the job or we are told we're no longer needed by our employer, and then uh, we start arguing and making decisions of, where we really want to work when we should have made that decision before we were terminated, as an example. <laughs> that That is so true. So, you know, the thinking about um, you don't have to wait to get the slap in the face, no. but but sometimes that's the, like, the little extra kick that it takes from the universe yeah. so that you can make a change that's really needed. Yeah, you can only but, look forward to everything that happens to you as a – a positive lesson for the future. I know it's awfully hard to do when you get a divorce or you get a <laughs> termination from your job or any kind of a setback loss of a loved one, and that, of course, is the toughest one of all, I guess. But uh, if you look at all those as helpful life lessons that you can use going forward, it uh, makes it a lot easier to, to face the future, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it certainly does. Well, tell us about your great new book, Hypothesis. This book was uh, written based upon a real-life uh, health challenge. Tell us about the challenge and the hypothesis you created to overcome the challenge. Sure. So my book is uh, actually about my own personal slap in the face. <laughs> I received a, a diagnosis of uh, HPV and cervical lesions, which is the beginning of cervical cancer. Yeah, I had to look that up because I, I hadn't even heard of that. But, of course, it affects you ladies because we men don't have cervixes, I guess. That's, that's very true. And um, so, I mean, the, a diagnosis where you're told, you know, you have to, be, to begin treatments to prevent cancer is yeah. is kind of scary. And then the second part on top of it, you know, the idea that the treatment is to uh, remove half of your cervix Ooh. is, like, totally personal. And yeah. um, when I talked to my doctor about uh, options and treatment, you know, he suggested, and this was, I guess, my ultimate slap in the face after all that. He said I was too old to heal myself from it. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm, and I looked through the literature and like, wow, it says that 90% of the time people can self-heal from this. Yeah. Like, what? I'm too old? Like, what? Is my healing days <laughs> over? Yeah. I hate that in any situation when a doctor tells me I'm too old or anyone tells me I'm too old. I get my hackles up, and I hate to be called a senior citizen. I just hate that term. (laughs) So I I certainly didn't feel too old. Um, I so that's when I put together uh, this this process. I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna try this out. I've I've been doing this my whole life. I'm gonna try it on me. I'm going to yeah, go through I love this the process. Way you, you developed a hypothesis, and then you actually uh, used your personal challenge to uh, to challenge to put together a, a way to approach that, and uh, it's it's really great the way you did that. But, uh, 
Yeah, so an important part of that um, for anybody facing something like a, a cancer diagnosis is, yeah. you know, measuring things along the way. So yeah. exploring treatment options um, that feel right to you is uh, one of those big decisions. But being sure to measure your progress so that you can course correct, that was an absolute must. Um, as I went through my hypothesis, my hypothesis was I think I can find naturopathic and alternative treatment options and, and help my body heal itself still. You know, yeah. I'd be uh, like I the rest of the 90% of the people. <laughs> I know your uh, your results exceeded your expectations, which is great. And uh, this hypothesis uh, approach that you use isn't just for uh, health challenges, is it? Also, you can use that uh, to face any other kind of major decision that you're facing. You absolutely can. And when I said I'd, I'd use this process for years, like this is <laughs> at its core the scientific method. And it's also the process in which we go through software development to make new software out for the world. Now you're getting and, mathy on me. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so the, the fact that I could take that, uh, what, uh, a process and practice that I felt comfortable with and safe with, uh, try out on my own body and my own healing, reach natural regression, have a positive result, um, I was like, oh, my gosh, you really can use this for everything. Oh, <laughs> well, where should yeah. listeners go to preview and purchase your book? Sure. So you can um, go. It, my book is offered on Amazon.com, but yeah. you can also go to my website at decisiondoctor.com. Now, I typed in your name, I think, and got the same website. It, can, it so does. You, I have it set up so you can do either one. You can do Terry Novak. Or you can do Decision Doctor with a DR. Okay. That's it all goes to my website, yeah. That sounds good. And um, you were offering a free gift to our listeners. What is that and how do they claim it? Sure. So what this is is um, in this this uh, sour process, I, I know you can see the diagram of it, but uh, you can people can actually see it in real life when you go to my website. And... Um, the idea is a, a quick 30-minute, I call it, it's a discovery session, a dis oh. decision discovery session. So we can kind of talk through, like go, like we did just right now today. We can walk through those six steps and six questions and get like a starter on whatever your tough decision is. Oh, that's great. So the, yeah. nothing more valuable if you face a, a really tough decision you don't know how to approach than to uh, go through that session. Yeah, so if you go to the, the purchase menu item and just click it and put it in the cart and then type in the code Decision Doctor, D E C I S I O N D R, all lowercase, it'll just come out free. Oh. And then we can just get together and run through that. Okay, well, that's great. And uh, your web address, once again, is decisiondoctor.com. That's D R, right? D R at the end, uh huh. Yeah, okay. Well, as a systems analyst, Terry Novak has made her career uh, of helping people define their problems and desires and then using scientific method, decision models, and process flows, helping thousands of times, or she's done that thousands of times, to become an expert on facilitating critical thinking and decision-making that brings about desired change. And I hope she'll inspire you to trust and feel confident in your own power and your choice uh, making so that you can bring to life the change that you desire 
and uh, I highly recommend you preview uh, Terry Novak's book, Hypothesis, and the full uh, the subtitle of that is, again, uh, uh, an HPV healing experiment, which, uh, you know, she goes through a real-life situation that, and how that method helped her solve it. And thanks so much, Terry, for your time, and uh, I hope best of success on the sale of that book and on all you're doing because it's very important for all of us. Thank you. It was great being with you today. Bye-bye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 